Hello, fellow saints, and happy Independence Day weekend. As it is Independence Day weekend, I do want to talk a little bit about what our freedoms mean to us. And we are here in the promised land, and we do have a land of freedom, but we, yet we notice that in today's society right now, we are losing those freedoms, and we're giving them up readily in the name of safety and security. But the truth is, is that safety and security is only provided by the Lord. And that safety and security comes from knowing that He is our Savior and that we can overcome the sins and transgressions that just do easily beset us. And as we study these chapters, I hope you will recognize the liberties that we're afforded and the liberties that God intends for us as part of His great plan. And also to realize how blessed we are to live in a free country, but if we want to retain that freedom, we must repent we must get others to repent, and we must serve the Lord here upon this continent. And with that in mind, let's get started. We're going to be going over chapters 23 through 29 of Alma today. And I want to start off by talking about true conversion. What is true conversion? I think we can all agree that just getting baptized is not enough. Today, we are going to talk about the Lamanites who were truly converted, as were Alma and the sons of Mosiah. And throughout our studies, we should be aware of the sacrifices made for true conversion. However, we also know that everyone is called to respond in their own way. So with that, let's dive into Alma chapter 23. In the beginning of chapter 23, we talk about religious freedom. In fact, religious freedom is declared by Lamoni's father. And there is so much good information out there by the brethren right now and the world leaders about the importance of religious freedom and our struggle to retain our religious freedoms. And I, I just want to encourage each of us to stand up for the cause. And if you haven't done so yet, look at Elder Bednar's recent address, Wake Up Call, in the Religious Freedom Annual Review. It's an excellent place to start. So Lamoni's father institutes religious freedom throughout the land. And it says in verse 6 that many were converted. It says, as sure as the Lord liveth, so sure as many as believed, or as many as were brought to the knowledge of the truth through the preaching of Ammon and his brethren, according to the spirit of revelation and prophecy, and the power of God working miracles in them. Yea, I say unto you, as the Lord liveth, as many of the Lamanites as believed in their preachings and were converted unto the Lord, never did fall away. Verse 7 goes on, For they became a righteous people. They did lay down their weapons of their rebellion. I love that last phrase, they did lay down the weapons of rebellion. What are our weapons of rebellion? And do we need to lay them down? Are there things in our lives that we're holding on to? They're just, that's what our favorite weapon is, our favorite thing to rebel against. Is that keeping us from true conversion? Now, there's a difference between being converted and having a testimony, and this is what Elder Bednar says. He says, the essence of the gospel of Jesus Christ entails a fundamental and permanent change in our very nature made possible through the Savior's atonement. True conversion brings a change in one's beliefs, heart, and life to accept and conform to the will of God, and includes a conscious commitment to become a disciple of Christ. Two major elements are described in these verses. One, the knowledge of the truth, which may be interpreted as a testimony. And two, converted unto the Lord, which I understand to be conversion to the Savior and his gospel. Thus, the powerful combination of both testimony and conversion unto the Lord produced firmness and steadfastness and provided spiritual protection. They never did fall away and surrendered the weapons of their rebellion, that they did not 
a fight against God anymore, to set aside cherished weapons of rebellion, such as selfishness, pride, and disobedience, requires more than merely believing and knowing. Conviction, humility, repentance, and submissiveness precede the abandonment of our weapons of rebellion. Do you and I still possess weapons of rebellion that keep us from becoming converted unto the Lord? If so, then we need to repent now. Note that the Lamanites were not converted to the missionaries who taught them or to the excellent programs of the church. They were not converted to the personalities of their leaders or to preserving a cultural heritage or the traditions of their fathers. They were converted unto the Lord, to Him as the Savior and to His divinity and doctrine, and they never did fall away. I also want to point out that they never did fall away. President Hinckley was talking a lot about converts and how many converts we were getting. In fact, he said that at that moment, we had enough converts to establish a 100 new stakes every year. But because so many were falling away so quickly and because of just natural attrition in the church, that wasn't happening. We need to hold on to the converts. People need to be converted truly. Many of the Lamanites were converted. But look at what happened with the Amulonites and the Amalekites. There was only one Amalekite that was converted, none of the Amulonites. And because there's such great division between now the believers who are Lamanites and the non-believers who are Lamanites who are actually Amulonites and Amalekites and Lamanites as well, the converted Lamanites want to change their name. And in verses 16 and 17, it says, And now it came to pass that the king and those who were converted were desirous that they might have a name, that thereby they might be distinguished from their brethren. Therefore the king consulted with Aaron and many of their priests concerning the name that they should take upon them, that they might be distinguished. And it came to pass that they called their names Anti-Nephi-Lehi's, and they were called by this name, and were no more called Lamanites. I also want to look at verse 18, because I want to see what the effect it had on these people here. It says in verse 18, it says, And they began to be a very industrious people, yea, and they were friendly with the Nephites, Therefore they did open a correspondence with them, and the curse of God did no more follow them. Remember that the curse is that they're cut off from the Lord. It wasn't about their skin color, it was about the curse. So just want to remind you of that. And then we go on to chapter 24. In chapter 24, the Amalekites and the Amulonites really get angry with the converted Lamanites, and they stir up the other Lamanites to go after them and attack. In verses 3 and 4, it talks about how Lamoni's father is getting old, and he confers the kingdom upon one of his sons, who he names Anti-Nephi-Lehi, and then he dies in that same year. And just after he dies, these unconverted Lamanites are getting ready to attack, and Anti-Nephi-Lehi consults with Aaron and Ammon and his other brethren to see what they should do, and they all agree that they're not going to engage in war. It says in verse 6, Now there was not one soul among all the people who had been converted unto the Lord that would take up arms against their brethren. Nay, they would not even make any preparations for war. Yea, and also their king commanded them that they should not. They had buried their weapons of rebellion when they literally buried their weapons. And I love the king's speech here. And he goes on and he talks about how we are commanded to remain peaceful unto death. And they will not break that for any reason whatsoever. And this is verse 10. He says, And I also thank my God, yea, my great God, that he hath granted unto us that we might repent of these things, and also that he hath forgiven us of our many sins and murders which we have committed. 
and taken away the guilt from our hearts through the merits of his son. What I really like about this verse is it brings to mind that the atonement of Jesus Christ isn't just to save us so that we can return to our Father in heaven on high, although that's one of the major things about it. It's also to grant us peace in this life. And this is what President Packer had to say. He said, for some reason, we think the atonement of Christ applies only at the end of mortal life to redemption from the fall, from spiritual death. It is much more than that. It is an ever-present power to call upon in everyday life. When we are racked or harrowed up or tormented by guilt or burdened with grief, he can heal us. While we do not fully understand how the atonement of Christ was made, we can experience the peace of God which passeth all understanding. We all make mistakes. Sometimes we harm ourselves and seriously injure others in ways that we alone cannot repair. We break things that we cannot alone fix. It is then in our nature to feel guilt and humiliation and suffering, which we alone cannot cure. That is when the healing power of the atonement will help. The Lord said, Behold, I, God, have suffered these things for all that they might not suffer if they would repent. The atonement has practical, personal, everyday value. Apply it in your life. It can be activated with so simple a beginning as prayer. You will not thereafter be free from trouble and mistakes, but can erase the guilt through repentance and be at peace. And that's what these Lamanites did. They would stain their swords no more, as it says in verse 12. And they looked at the blessings that they received and noticed their faith in verse 16, where it says, And if our brethren destroy us, behold, we shall go to our God and shall be saved. They knew about the atonement. They knew about the resurrection. There was no fear in them because of this. So they gather up all of their weapons and they bury them. And right after they bury them, the Lamanites attack and kill about a thousand and five. And some of those Lamanites feel so bad about the slaughter that they're doing that they convert and they bury their weapons. It says that those who died, they're, they're in a better place, so they weren't too worried about that. And none of the new converts, interestingly enough, were Amalekites and Amulonites. And this is what Elder L. Tom Perry said. He says, while the message of the story is not to insist on universal pacifism, we do learn that by not returning aggressions from others, we can have a profound effect on them. Literally, we can change their hearts when we follow Christ's example and turn the other cheek. Our examples as peaceable followers of Christ inspire others to follow him. And I think that's a great quote because we are not always called to be pacifists. Sometimes we are. We are called sometimes to defend ourselves. But in any case, not holding that kind of anger towards our enemy can help them to change and turn about and be an example to them. Well, that's what happened in this case. It's interesting because here you have Moroni's warning at the end about falling away. And he says, And thus we can plainly discern that after a people have been once enlightened by the Spirit of God and have had great knowledge of things pertaining to righteousness and then have fallen away into sin and transgression, they become more hardened and thus their state becomes worse than though they had never known these things. And of course, he's talking about the Amulonites and the Amalekites. And it brings to mind a conversation that Joseph Smith had with Brother Behunin, where Brother Behunin 
was talking about some of the converts that had left those who had rebelled and become apostate and were fighting against the church. And he said, you know, if I, if I was ever to leave the church, I would just go off to some place where they'd never even heard of the church and just be fine being without the church. And Joseph Smith said, no, Brother Hunan, you're wrong there. Once you leave, once you know, you are no longer on neutral ground. And now you are a tool of the devil and you will fight against the church. And that is the truth of it, brothers and sisters, that we are in this war together. We're either on the right side or we're on the wrong side. And there's no middle ground anymore. Not at this point. We know too much. In chapter 25, it's all about fulfilled prophecies. The Lamanites are mad, but they can't kill the anti-Nephi-Lehi's anymore. So they go to the Nephites and they wipe out the people of Ammonihah, fulfilling Alma's prophecy that if they didn't repent, they would be wiped off the face of the earth. I think it's also interesting to note that both the Lamanites who attacked the Amulonites, the Amalekites, and also the people of Ammonihah were after the order of Nehor. And so you have Nehor people unwittingly destroying the other people of the order of Nehor because of the color of their skin or because they were a different nation. Interesting uh, juxtaposition there. Sometimes the Lord uses the unrighteous to take out the unrighteous. Well, we know that the Nephites fought them off and that they fled. And it says that most of them who died were Amulonites. And the leaders were all Amulonites. And in verse 6, it talks about how the Lamanites who were defeated by the Nephites began to remember what Aaron had told them, and they began to repent. Now, this didn't sit well with the Amulonite leaders, and so they started to burn alive any Lamanite who was thinking about converting. And this was fulfilling Abinadi's prophecy. The descendants of the priests of Noah would put many more people to death by fire, like they did to Abinadi. Now, this angered the Lamanites, and they went after their leaders, the Amulonites, and it says that they hunted and slayed the Amulonites, again fulfilling more prophecy by Abinadi, that the seed of these priests of wicked King Noah would be hunted by their brethren. Well, many more of the Lamanites who returned from war buried their weapons of war and joined the anti-Nephi-Lehi's. And in verses 15 and 16, it says that they followed and kept the law of Moses, looking forward to the coming of Christ. Now we jump into chapter 26. And here Ammon glories in their success. And he says in verse 5, Behold, the field was ripe, and blessed are ye, for ye did thrust in the sickle and did reap with your might, yea, all the day long did ye labor. And behold, the number of your sheaves and they shall be gathered into the garners, that they are not wasted. Here we see the great joy of missionary work. Elder Bednar suggests that the sheaves are converts, and the pavilions that they gather into are the temples of the Lord. And I love that analogy there. Well, Aaron rebukes him uh, in fear of pride, saying, Hey, Ammon, you're boasting a little bit too much. And this is Ammon's great response in verses 11 and 12. He says, But Ammon said unto him, I do not boast in my own strength, nor in my own wisdom. But behold, my joy is full. Yea, my heart is brim with joy, and I will rejoice in my God. Yea, I know that I am nothing, as to my strength I am weak. Therefore I will not boast of myself, but I will boast of my God. For in his strength I can do all things. Yea, behold, many mighty miracles we have wrought in this land for which we will praise his name forever. 
And then he continues in verse 16, he says, Therefore, let us glory, yea, we will glory in the Lord, yea, we will rejoice, for our joy is full, yea, we will praise our God forever. Behold, who can glory too much in the Lord? Yea, who can say too much of his great power and his mercy and of his long suffering toward the children of men? Behold, I say unto you, I cannot say the smallest part of which I feel. May we all feel like Ammon does about our conversion to the Lord Jesus Christ, at least work towards that. I love how in verse 22 he says, Yea, he that repenteth and exerciseth faith and bringeth forth good works and prayeth continually without ceasing, unto such it is given to know the mysteries of God. Yea, unto such it shall be given to reveal things which never have been revealed. Yea, and it shall be given unto such to bring thousands of souls to repentance, even as it has been given unto us to bring these, our brethren, to repentance. Brothers and sisters, this is what you have to do to qualify to be a fantastic missionary and to have the success of Ammon and his brethren. But what does it take? Verse 27, it says, it takes perseverance. It says, now when our hearts were depressed and we were about to turn back, behold, the Lord comforted us and said, go amongst thy brethren, the Lamanites, and bear with patience thine afflictions, and I will give unto you success. And really, what is our calling? Verse 36 says, Now, if this is boasting, even so will I boast. For this is my life and my light, my joy and my salvation, and my redemption from everlasting woe. Yea, blessed is the name of my God, who has been mindful of this people, who are a branch of the tree of Israel and have not been lost from its body in a strange land. Yea, I say, blessed be the name of my God, who has been mindful of us wanderers in a strange land. So what is our calling? Well, he said it already up in verse 3 as well. Behold, I answer for you, for our brethren, the Lamanites, were in darkness. Yea, even in the darkest abyss, but behold, how many of them are brought to behold the marvelous light of God. And this is the blessing which he hath bestowed upon us, that we have been made instruments in the hands of God to bring about this great work. I hope that each of us will be instruments in the hand of God and help to bring about this great work. Well, in chapter 27, Ammon is told to get the anti-Nephi-Lehi's out of there. And they agree that if the Lord confirms, which he of course does, that they would rather be slaves to the Nephites than die or fight. So they leave. And Ammon and his brethren meet Alma. And Ammon faints at a, as a result of his joy. And the people give the land of Jershon to the anti-Nephi-Lehi's and place an army there to protect them. And in verse 25, it talks about how Alma ministers unto these new converts. And he says at the very end, And Alma also related unto them his conversion with Ammon and Aaron and his brethren. I love that. We share conversion stories. That's the way that we get to feel the Spirit and show what's going on. In verse 27, it talks about how the Nephites call them the people of Ammon. But I want to point out how forgiving the Nephites were of their enemies and that they really looked to protect them, even though this is a people that had been at war with them many times, they forgave them. And in verse 28, look at the conversion of these people of Ammon. And they did look upon the shedding of blood of their brethren with greatest abhorrence. And they never could be prevailed upon to take up arms against their brethren. And they never did look upon death with any degree of terror. For their hope and views of Christ and the resurrection, therefore death was swallowed up to them by the victory over it. And how blessed we are to have this knowledge of the resurrection and of the atonement of Jesus Christ. And the joy of knowing these things is continued on in chapter 28 because there's a huge battle. 
and a lot of deaths on each side. And in verse 12, it says, while many thousands of others truly mourn for their loss of their kindred, yet they rejoice and exult in the hope and even know, according to the promises of the Lord, that they are raised to dwell at the right hand of God in a state of never-ending happiness. What joy it is to know that our brethren who've passed on, our sisters who've passed on, our parents, our children, that we will see them again and that they are in a better place. On the other hand, just before that in verse 11 at the end, it talks about how they have reason to fear, according to the promise of the Lord, that they are consigned to a state of endless woe. And this is why it happens. Verse 13, And thus we see how great the inequality of man is because of sin and transgression, and the power of the devil which comes by the cunning plans which he hath devised to ensnare the hearts of men. So if there's inequality, which we all know there is, Look to sin. That is the reason. Verse 14 says, And thus we see the great call of diligence of men to labor in the vineyards of the Lord. And thus we see the great reason of sorrow and also of rejoicing. Sorrow because of death and destruction among men. And joy because of the light of Christ unto life. And shouldn't we rejoice? Oh, how great we should rejoice. In fact, in Chapter 29, that's what Alma is doing. He says in verse 1, Oh, that I were an angel and could have the wish of mine heart, that I might go forth and speak with the trump of God, with a voice to shake the earth and cry repentance unto every people. And he goes on to talk about what he would do if he were an angel and was given that opportunity. But then he comes off of it a little bit because he knows that this is not how the plan works. This is not how the Lord works. And it says in verse 3, that he should be content to do the things which the Lord has allotted unto him. And shouldn't we be content to just at least serve in our callings? The other thing you have to be careful with in verse 4, it says that the Lord will give us what we want, right? It says, For I know that he granteth unto men according to their desire, whether it be unto death or life. Yea, I know that he allotteth unto men, yea, decreeth unto them decrees which are unalterable according to their wills, whether they be unto salvation or under destruction. And although what he wants is righteous, is that what he's really called to do? Is that aligning himself with the will of the Lord? Something to consider. And in verse 6, he talks about what we are really called to do. Now, seeing that I know these things, why should I desire more than to perform the work which I have been called to do? Indeed, are we doing more? Are we striving to take upon responsibilities that we're not called to perform? And then in verse 8, he's comforted and knowing that the Lord is going to make sure that everyone hears the gospel, that it's not all on him. He says, For behold, the Lord doth grant unto all nations of their own nation and tongue to teach his word, yea, and wisdom, all that he seeth fit, that they should have. Therefore we see that the Lord doth counsel and wisdom according to that which is just and true. And it brings to mind all of the amazing and miraculous things that are happening in the church and that have been happening for a while. The the fall of the Iron Curtain and the opening up of, of Russia to preach the gospel and the converts there. That we're going to soon have a temple in the Middle East in Dubai, United Arab Emirates, and also in Shanghai, China. The Lord knows what to do and he knows how to break down these barriers even if it seems like sometimes we're working backwards in this. But that is where the joy comes in. The joy comes in in seeing the hand of the Lord despite all of the difficulties. And that is the joy of missionary work. And I want to read verse 10 and close it up with a quote by Elder Scott. He says, And behold, when I see many of my brethren truly penitent and coming to the Lord their God, 
Then is my soul filled with joy. Then I do remember what the Lord has done for me. Yea, even that he hath heard my prayer. Yea, then do I remember his merciful arm, which he extended towards me. This is what Elder Scott said. He says, There are few things in life that bring as much joy as the joy that comes from assisting another to improve his or her life. That joy is increased when when those efforts help someone understand the teachings of the Savior, and that person decides to obey them, is converted, and joins his church. There follows great happiness as that new convert is strengthened during the transition to a new life, is solidly grounded in truth, and obtains all of the ordinances of the temple with the promise of all the blessings of eternal life. Brothers and sisters, may we all be truly converted and help others to be truly converted. We have testimonies. Now become converted. Bury our weapons of rebellion. Seek ways to deepen our conversion and share our testimonies with others and help others gain a testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our Savior. He loves us. He wants us to return to Him. I have a testimony that he is our Savior, and I say this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns, you can reach me at drjaredthomas at gmail.com or text me at 916-412-2136. Thanks, and have a safe and blessed Independence Day weekend.